bow our heads for prayer. Father, we come before you this morning. We're grateful that we can worship you like this, that we can join our voices together in song to praise you, to honor you. And pray that as your word is given this morning, that it again could speak to our lives, especially this morning as we think about the children and the blessing that you have given to us as a church, to these parents, blessing them with children. I pray that um, honor and glory would be to you, and we want to just thank you for, for each one of the children here, and for the special plan and purpose that you have for each one of them. Pray your blessing upon John as he brings this message. May you enable him, give him words to speak, and speak to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning to everyone. I want to welcome the visitors here. As I was looking around, I see grandparents, I see aunts and uncles, I see cousins, I see co-workers. I appreciate all you guys coming to support or to take part in the dedication this morning. We appreciate that. There are a few who are not here this morning. As the locals here know, our thoughts go to Alvin and Emily and their family as they mourn the loss of a mother. And thinking of this, I couldn't be reminded about how, while God created us as eternal beings, he did not intend for us to spend that eternity here on earth. We actually only spend a very small portion of our existence here on earth. And then as Psalm 90 says, our life here is cut off and we fly away. So in light of that, we do well to spend our time here wisely. And we think this morning again of the cycle um, of birth, celebrating birth, and also, if we could say, celebrating a life that was well lived as well. There are limited investments that we can make here that will carry on into eternity. Uh, only a living soul will carry on into eternity. Um, unfortunately, our pets and things that we like so much will not. And as good as it might seem to you know, save the whales, the sea turtles, or save the planet, as we, see, as we see so much around us today, none of those are going to last into eternity. We are told that this world and the things in it will pass away. Someone has once said that our children are the only things that we can take with us to heaven. And while that's not technically true, each person, as we know, must make their own choice, it is true that our investments in people, whether it is our children or in others, are the only investments that are of eternal value. As an opening scripture, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 127. I'm going to read a few verses here. Psalm 127, this is where today's title comes from. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So here in verse 3, it calls children a heritage. 
and other translations use the word gift, which is also correct. But I think heritage has a deeper meaning than just a gift. While a gift may be of great value to the one who receives it, it is often limited in its benefit to others and many times is something that's either consumable or eventually simply wears out. A heritage, on the other hand, is something that is passed from one generation to the next with the intent that it continues to provide benefits beyond the original recipient. So if we look at children as a gift, they're for me. As a heritage, they're yes for me, but also for others as well. In most cases, our children outlast us, and so the heritage that God has begun through us as parents continues on through our children even after we are no longer here. And as such, obviously, as the psalm says, it's very important that much care is given as to how that heritage is begun, how that heritage is shaped. Verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, unless God is the foundation of a family, that family will struggle and falter. We did some work last summer in a small gated community up on Lake Ontario, and some of the history was kind of interesting. At some point back in the early 80s, someone pushed a whole bunch of fill dirt out into the bay and then built a couple dozen fairly nice homes on that fill. And over time, part of that settled, and as a result, many of the homes have jagged repair lines up through the brickwork where part of the house settled, and then they patched it back up again. Inside, the floors are sloped three or four more inches across a bedroom. The new owner told me that he and his wife moved in. They couldn't sleep well until they put some two-by-fours underneath the one side of the bed because they used to always wake up rolled to one side. <laughs> Interesting. So over the years, the settling has stopped. The repairs have been made. Uh, lawsuits have been settled. And apparently, the foundations are now stable as new owners continue to purchase and live in these homes. But while these homes may be safe, may be okay now, they will always show the marks of a poor foundation. It would be virtually impossible without destroying the homes to erase all the damages resulting from that poor foundation. The same is true in people. While God can and does make us a new person in Him, the scars from broken beginning rarely completely disappear. We can become stable, we can become okay, um, but often those, those marks from that poor foundation will follow us through the rest of our lives. And as parents, we know that is a, a huge responsibility in helping build those foundations in our children. Verse 1 also speaks of God as being the only one sufficiently able to protect our families. We know that without God's protecting hand, our attempts to safeguard our children from the evils around them will fall short, both spiritually and physically, emotionally, all that. Um, without God in there helping, protecting us, our efforts will not be enough. Verse 2 speaks of the futility of raising a family in our own strength. If you ever thought it's difficult to successfully raise a family, you, know, you would be correct. That is a big job. All our labors, efforts, sleepless nights are insufficient without God present there. Verse 4 and 5 speak of the beginning of that heritage. It talks of children as arrows. And those of you who are hunters know that the purpose of an arrow is to reach further and faster and more effectively than the shooter himself is able to go. So I didn't do research of when they first invented bows and arrows, but I'm assuming up until that time, 
Um, men were left to use a spear or a stick or something that could chase an animal down and kill it. But when arrows came, they enabled that to go much beyond what the shooter was able to do, and the same way with children. As children grow and mature, they often continue where we have left off, going places, doing things, taking opportunities that may not have been available to us or that are available to them because of our efforts in making, making that so. So a heritage like an inheritance is not intended to be kept for our benefit, but instead to be paid ahead for the benefit of future generations. When we think of children, whether our own or simply children in general, a number of things come to mind. Uh, number one, children are precious. They were designed by God to be valued and treasured. Psalm 139, I'll turn to that quickly. 139 verses 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my, in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So we could spend much time, which we won't now, but it's very interesting, looking at the development of an unborn baby. It's very fascinating to watch, if you've ever watched those process, the steps, seeing this little shapeless blob um, developing uh, hands and fingers and toes and eyes um, and becoming a, we would call it a person. I say that without getting into controversy. You know what I'm saying? He's a person when he starts, but when he looks like a person. Um, the psalmist, we know, didn't have today's technology. Um, he didn't have ultrasound images, didn't have all that stuff. And yet he knew as he wrote this that something very amazing was happening to form that person. And I don't think it was by chance either that God designed babies to be cute. I think we'd all agree with that. Um, he designed them that way in, to trigger feelings of affection and protection when we see one. Um, I brought a couple pictures here this morning. We've been promised a PowerPoint, and it's coming, but we, in the meantime, we do it the old-fashioned way. So here we have a picture. That's crooked, I'm sorry. Here we have a picture of an adult. Um, he looks pretty normal. Um, a little standoffish, maybe. I'm not sure what his attitude is. But unless we know him, which we don't, uh, most of us would pass him on the street and not give him much of a second glance and probably wouldn't stir any emotion in us. On the other hand, I have another picture here. It's a little different picture. And I can see from your faces a little different response as well. Um, here we have a baby. And while we might pass this guy by without a second glance, uh, most of us would probably stop. If we saw this little guy here, we might reach out and grab his hand. 
and they just bring a totally different response. I know we all know this, but I just, I find it interesting. That's why they're silhouettes and not pictures, because just the way God designed a baby, the shape, the size, the whatever, it was designed on purpose to bring about the response that all of you guys are giving now, uh, a response of affection, a response of protection, all that stuff. We know that Jesus loved children. He went out of his way to give them attention. In Mark 10, when the children came to see him, but the disciples tried to chase him away, he stopped them and said, let them come for whoever does not receive the kingdom of heaven as a little child will by no means enter into it. Then Jesus blessed the children before sending them on their way. And he was speaking here of when he said receiving the, the kingdom as a child, of the eagerness, the innocence that we so often lose as we become adults. Um, I don't see either eagerness or innocence in the man here, and I see both in the child. So just a, a small example of the difference that we often see in children and the example that Jesus uses from children to encourage us not to lose that, to receive the kingdom of heaven in that way. Number two, children are a promise. If we turn back to the beginning, uh, back to Genesis chapter three, we actually see a double promise here. Children, who were the only people who did not have a mother or a father? Any children know? I heard it whispered. A little louder to get points. Adam and Eve, good. They weren't born either. God created them both as full-grown adults. So when someone asks you which came first, the chicken or the egg, we know it was the chicken because God doesn't lay eggs. Sorry, bad joke. But seriously, um, we do take the miracle of birth for granted because that's all we know. We've always known birth, um, babies. How would it be if there were no families? You ever think about that? Um, no mothers, no fathers, no children, just a world full of adults uh, that appear for 70 or so years and then die. Um, how would that change our understanding of relationships? How would that change our view of God? I read a book once that someone recommended to me of a, a futuristic idea of that society, and it's, well, the guy I was using imagination, but it's, it's very scary, I guess, to even think of that idea. Anyway, back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, kind of breaking in here. Uh, God is speaking to the serpent and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your, your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head, it shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will multiply your sorrow and conception. In pain, you will bring forth children. Your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, a couple of things going on here. This is right in the middle of God's curse after Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden tree. They had sinned and eaten from what they weren't supposed to. And God's curse began with the serpent. We know it was Satan. And in verse 15, God promises a future savior who would break Satan's hold on mankind. That's the first promise. The second is also in verse 16, as God speaks to Eve. He speaks of childbirth and the pain that goes with it. But in speaking of children, he is also speaking of life. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 17, um, God promised death to Adam if Adam would eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
That was before Eve came along. <clears throat> and before they directly disobeyed what God told them to do. So the consequences had not changed since God warned Adam of that. And I think Adam and Eve were expecting to die um, right here and now. They were caught and they knew it. And yes, their lives drastically changed. As a result of their sin, they would eventually die. But God's promise here of children was a promise of life. Life that would continue and has continued to repeat itself ever since. And by God promising or talking about childbirth and children, he was saying, you may die, but mankind will not die for the sin here. It will continue on. Life would continue and has continued ever since then. As one generation passes on, another replaces it, and human life continues throughout history until God's plan here on earth has been completed. So children are a promise, a promise of life. Number three, children are a purpose. Uh, parents, I have a question for you. What is the purpose of children? I can't do all the talking here. What's the purpose of children? I don't have any answers written down, so I'm, I need to hear from you guys. That's that's one good one. That too. Yeah, when when Noah and the family came off the uh, the ark, that was one of God's commandments to repopulate the earth. Anything else? I'm not sure there's any wrong answers here. I'm just curious to hear what you guys had to say. Their delight. Okay, most times, right? Okay, and children are his way of continuing that. Good, okay. Okay, all good answers. Like I said, I didn't have anything written down. I wanted to see what you guys had to say in this. That's all good answers here. I would like to read from 1 Samuel, a little longer passage here. Um, breaking in here at 1 Samuel chapter 1, uh, verse 4. Then when the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peniah his wife and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year after year when she went up into the house of the Lord that she, provoked, that she the other wife, provoked Hannah, that she wept and did not eat. And Elkanah said, to her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. While she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish, then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying for the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink. But I poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, 
Out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And then they rose up early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house in Ramah. Now Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah said to his, her husband said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son till she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bowls, one ephath of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And he said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. And then uh, chapter 2, down to verse 11. Then Elkanah went to his house in Ramah, but the child ministered to the Lord before Eli the priest. So some of you I know can identify this story better than others. Um, God does not always grant our prayers immediately, and maybe he never will exactly as we think he should, as he did for Hannah here. We know that Hannah struggled with bitterness, uh, ridicule, rejection, and even a misunderstanding by a husband who I truly believe loved her. Um, but I am sure that his suggestion in verse 8 that he was better for her than 10 sons probably didn't win any points with her. Um, I think he was trying to be understanding, but that's not what she needed to hear right then. But in verse 11, she made a vow to God and said, If you give me a son, I will give him back to you, which then she did, um, quite literally. Can any of you mothers imagine leaving your maybe three, four-year-old son to live with an old priest who had two grown, rebellious sons? Uh, there's no mention of a wife. I don't know um, how that was like and then only visiting him once a year. Can you imagine that? I, I, I can't, as a parent, I can't imagine doing that, uh, nor would I recommend that under normal circumstances as being a good idea. Um, but she did, and God blessed her for that. Some questions I had to think of, did Hannah regret the vow that she made? Um, she made that vow when she was very desperate, um, really wanted, uh, and we know how that is sometimes, you say something, you promise God something, and later you wish you hadn't. We don't read that she did. Did she feel like she gained a son only to then lose him again? Or did she, through her time of waiting, praying, asking God for a child, realize that children really are a gift from God? They're not something we deserve, but instead they are God's, and he simply allows us to have them for a time. Did she realize that God does not give children to benefit us, but to bring honor and glory to him, as was mentioned. Thank you. Um, children are not for our benefit, but they are for the, the honor and glory of God. To think, by all we know of early childhood conditions today, uh, Samuel should have suffered from all sorts of trauma, uh, separation, anxiety, all of that stuff, and I don't know what his childhood was like, but 
how instead did God use him to become one of the most powerful prophets that the early Israelite nation had? Um, I believe in part it was because of his mother's devotion to God, his mother's prayers for him, and she knew, I believe, that she had a very, very short time in which to raise him, in which to build that foundation, and she did that all along with the knowledge that, they, that there would be a time of separation. She knew she had a very short time to build. I think she spent every possible minute building that foundation, and I believe that shows also in Samuel's um, life later on. So whatever Hannah's motives were and how she asked God over time, I believe she came to understand the true purpose of a child is to be given back to God. And while God doesn't call us to be that extreme, hopefully, um, in literally giving our children away, at least not most of us, I would like us to consider that level of surrender when we dedicate our children to him. So keep that in mind as well, um, not just the ones in a few minutes here, but all of us, when we give our children to God, how, how serious are we in that dedication? Number four, a child has brought provision. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And if we turn to the first chapter of Luke, it's up to you. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Read a little bit there. And on the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One which is born will be called the Son of God." Did you ever wonder why God chose to send his plan of salvation in the form of a child? Um, Jesus could have walked into town one day as an adult, like Adam, like Adam did, a full-grown man. He could have performed his miracles, taught his ministry, and then carried through with his plan of salvation by dying on the cross. But I think that would have probably lost some significance. As I said early, earlier, God created all mankind um, including the animals and everything, with a natural instinct to love and to protect our young. So we can, as parents, relate in a small way to the incredible sacrifice it took for God to offer his only son as payment on behalf of someone else's sins. As parents, we too know the love of our children, and so I think we can understand, at least in part, the love that God has for us as his children and the love that he wants back from us as well. So let's stop today and thank God for the miracle of children, something we so often take for granted, and just remember that they are a gift from him, a heritage from him, and they are to be used for his honor and glory. 
and ultimately to be given back to him. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your wonderful plan and creation, a plan that includes not just our existence here on earth, but a complete cycle of life, including birth, life, and death, and eternity. Thank you for your perfect example you have given us of being a father, a perfect father, one who was not selfish with his own son, but instead allowed him to be used for the benefit of others. We ask for that same love as we raise our own children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And at this time, we invite...